You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done. They've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now the Navigator Series comes in two options, the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now if you want to find out more about their high-quality awesome boots you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com this is michael pitts and you're listening to pro talk with jp and dave yeah boy perfect that's what i call pro talk when you really don't know the answer you just make it up My rut is that I am in a rut. To get the pilot of Red Arrow going. There's really a way to skip class. I want to say, hey, those boys right there are entertaining. <laughs> there you <laughs> go. That's the nicest thing anybody's ever said on this podcast. Alex Rutledge here with American Roots Outdoors TV. Hey, this is Lee and Tiffany Lukowski from the Crest TV. Hi, I'm Don Higgins. This is Jeff Lindsay. Hey, everybody, this is Mark Dury with Dury Outdoors. Hey, this is Craig Fitz of Crane Assassins TV. You're listening to Dave and JP on Pro Talk Outdoors, the craziest two I know. Hey, everybody, Pro Talk Outdoors, JP and Dave sitting in here. Uh, pop the top and uh, going to sit down and record one, and it's going to be a little different today, I think. Yeah, I'm excited about today. I, I think we might get roasted. I don't know yet. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know. I, um... You know, I was uh, been a, a fan of uh, Michael Pitts. You know, just just a funny guy. And um, you know, the bad thing is, is you know, I watch all of his stuff. Most of the stuff that I watch him knocking on guys, stuff I do. Yeah. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's uh, and it's going to be interesting talking to him a little bit. I mean, he look, he's a serious hunter. He kills some big deer, but he, he likes to have a lot of fun. Well, I think everybody has somebody they know that this guy reminds them of has to and if you don't well then i i hope you find somebody or run into somebody because i i don't know how you could be around 
this guy and, and not be having a good time. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's definitely a piece of work. So uh, going to be interesting to have Michael Pitts on. Before we get to him, though, I uh, definitely want to bring up a little bit of what we got into this past weekend. We went out and, and got some food plots sprayed in Kentucky, and then I think uh, when we got back to Indiana, you went off and helped Johnny Sandlin do some things. Yeah, man, in the middle of the heat wave. I mean, it, it was yeah. absolutely fierce, the uh, the heat here in southern Indiana. and um, we, we were smart. We got early over there in Kentucky and uh, got a lot accomplished there. And then I came back over here and um, didn't even – I got a couple cold drinks in me. And then Johnny calls and says, hey, I'm ready. Let's plant. So uh, went over there and we planted a screen. Uh, he's putting out a couple food plots there. and. Man, it was hot, though. Dang oh, on, it was yeah. hot. I, I played two softball games and then uh, changed back into the, the clothes I was in, in in the morning and went out and sweat them through for the yeah, second. Yeah, that's right. You had a full day. For, there, for the second time and, and went out on the, the farms here in Indiana and, and got stuff done on both of them. Hung a new scrape rope and uh, actually turned one of my single stand, my favorite deer stand that I have, period. It's a hanging hunt set that it was actually still up in the tree that I shot the ghost out of last year. I was going to take it down and put a different lock on up in its place, but I remembered how safe and secure I'd made it. Nothing was budging. I remembered that the tree leaned, and this uh, this big game hanging hunt setup had a, a seat leveling mechanism on it. And I remembered I'd leveled the seat, and I'd gotten everything just right. I was like, oh. I ain't doing that again. I'm not doing it again because I'd hung a stand in the morning while you were mowing clover over in Kentucky and just absolutely had a horrible time. And I thought, you know what? Everything is just right. There's good juju on this stand. Shot the biggest deer in my life out of it. Why do I want to take it down for? Yeah, I wouldn't mess it up. You know what I did? I just went ahead and hung that other lock on on the back side of the tree for old Dave to sit in whenever he wants. Hey, and I like it. Uh, made it made it safe. We're ready to go. I didn't think I was going to be able to turn that into a double, but I found a way. And thanks to your leftover Christmas tree, <laughs> I've got it nice, br nice and brushed in up there. I tell you what, though, uh, I took the cordless drill into the woods, and I had some PVC pipe I'd ran pilot holes through, put screws in them, and I thought, man, just going to couple buzz and the screw will go right in the tree. Well, this is a shag bark hickory, and I'm far from a, a carpenter by any means or anybody that, that knows about the hardest of hardwoods in the woods versus softer woods. You know, uh, I have yeah. a general rule of thumb, but I learned a little bit that a shag bark hickory is pretty damn hard. It's a hardwood tree. It was a yep. hardwood tree, and, and I couldn't get the screws to go all the way into the tree. So I got them in a little ways and used some zip ties and uh, it, it it looks quite festive up there, I have to say. <laughs> you know, if you'd left the ornaments on the tree, it, it probably would have been fully ready uh, for I love for that. Christmas. You got to give got to give folks a little bit of a backstory on that. So uh, Savannah and I had a uh, yard sale. Um, Everybody loves over, a yard sale. <laughs> yeah, over the 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 previous weekend, and um, we had just a couple things left over, and of course. Like any good yard seller does, we didn't want to pack it back in the garage, so we stuck it out in the front yard and put free next to it and hoping somebody would call, come and, and haul away all of our shit. <laughs> but, you know, so <laughs> we got down to the, almost everything was gone other than, like, two old artificial Christmas trees. Well, old JP had already made up his mind. He was gonna he was gonna brush in using that PVC and everything. I, he was gonna brush in the I had a whole stands. system ready and defined to you, go You do. just needed the limbs. You were gonna cut out some cedar I, limbs. Yeah, I had a cedar tree picked out at the farm that was useless that I was gonna take them off of and we pull in from planting plots. I said, Son bitch I'm taking your tree. I'm like <laughs> I was sitting, first thought I was like, Well man, if you need a Christmas tree that bad, yeah, that's you know, they'll be okay. They'll work and you're like I'm going to hang him up in my tree stand. I'm like, man, 
that's a good idea. And I tell you, it worked great. Uh, yeah. it, it worked great. And, you know, anytime you go into the woods to do something like this, you've inevitably just got so much stuff to carry in. So I pull into this farm, and you know which farm I'm talking about. It's actually across the road from the bigger one that I hunt. And no work has been done on it all year. Weeds taller than me. Not that that's saying much. I'm 5'7", but the weeds, they were, were up there. They were six feet tall. I had to just basically point myself in the direction of the woods when I got out of the truck and just, walk, back. just walk a straight line until I got there. <laughs> and uh, just toting all that stuff back, I had this big bundle of Christmas tree and all this other gear and tree stands and sticks and stuff. And there was one piece of tree that came off on the walk, and I kind of felt it slide out of there. I'm thrashing through briars, and I look behind me, and I see it back there. And I said, Beep! leaving it. <laughs> we just kept on going, man. Didn't even go back to get it. I had enough. It was it was good, though. And, and, and people underestimate how important that cover really is. I, I had the best hunt of my life there. Got, got in the woods, you know, before daybreak, and between first light and 11.15 in the morning, I'd never had so much action. It was just nonstop. But I felt like I couldn't get much of it on film, and I really didn't because any time a group of multiple deer would come through and sometimes come back through, I just had so many different eyes, and I didn't feel like I had good cover around me. So it really inhibited how much I could film up there and, and get on camera. Now, obviously, if you're not toting a camera in the woods, it would have just, I mean, you, you wouldn't okay. have anything to improve upon, you know, because I harvested the, the buck I was after, and everything turned out great. But uh, I, in my head, I just thought, you know what? This is the greatest stand that I have, but I can make it better. And you did. So, using an old Christmas tree, how about that? You know, I'm so tight, I didn't even come to your yard sale to buy it. I just waited and got it the hey, next day. <laughs> you call it tight, I say it's wise move. <laughs> Oh man, we'll we'll see how wise a move this is next. I I got a feeling this I'm is. I'm a little gonna, worried about it. I I, I think <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. We'll we'll be back. We hope you enjoy it too. You're listening to Pro Talk Outdoors. Whether you're a field or a float, a good knife is a necessary tool to have at your disposal. Cavemen couldn't go without it, and you shouldn't either. If you're looking for a lifetime guaranteed American-made knife that will hold up to next level abuse. We've got just the thing for you. Big Tough American Knives bring more than a cool name to the table. They bring small batch, handmade knives with a lifetime guarantee to outperform mass-produced competitors. And if you snag a field knife you love, give Josh and the BTAC team a shout-out about some of their kitchen or processing knives as well. Big Tough American Knives is the official blade of Pro Talk Outdoors. It's mid-spring, and like a lot of other folks, we're spending a ton of time out on the water. This is also a very important time for us as deer hunters and herd managers. Bucks are just now starting to show us who they are and pack on antler growth. But more importantly, those fawns are getting ready to hit the ground. If you want to do something to help out the deer in your area, try Maximizer Mineral by Real World Wildlife Products. For more information, go to realworldwildlifeproducts.com. Hey everybody, welcome back. To Pro Talk Outdoors. We're joined now by Michael Pitts, a guy who's become a sensation online, uh, Realtree 365, YouTube. Uh, I, I think I first saw you on Facebook. Uh, how in the world did you get started on doing what it is you do? And, and if folks don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is actually Michael Pitts, as the introduction says. <laughs> and uh, 
basically I'm a firefighter. I own my own bow shop and I do a lot in the outdoor industry for real tree and that sort of thing. So I guess you could say I'm a man of many hats. Sure, sure. And a, a fireman hat being one of them, that, which is awesome, by the way. I don't think I realized that you were in that line of work. So Yeah, uh, yeah. I've been a full-time fireman actually since I was 18 years old. Got into it right out of high school and still doing it today. So, you know, if you like to hunt or fish, it's a good occupation because you only work every third day. So, it, that's you know, it gives good. you a lot of free time. Yeah. I guess none of those hats are flat-billed hats, though, are they? No, no, I, I stay away from the flat bill stuff. I like to bend mine a little bit, put a little bend in it, you know. <laughs> I, I used to be the same way. However, I, I kind of, you know, I kind of feel like I'm looking pretty good in the flat bills these days. Yeah, but those aren't flat bills you're wearing. It's a it's a higher crown on the hat, but the bill is not, like, flat. He, I mean, when you say flat bill, I think of, you know, when it's flat as a pancake and they don't take the sticker off of it and... That, that's what I'm thinking of. When oh, okay. You say flat bill, no, he, he's sure. he's just wearing a higher crown trucker hat that doesn't bend as much in the bill. Is what he's saying. I got you. Yeah, kind of a hybrid deal. Yeah, know. yeah. I, I like a that. little bit of both. <laughs> he he's got commitment issues. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, ain't that the truth? <laughs> well, well, Michael. For for folks that don't know, I mean, you do some pretty funny stuff, and and I know that when you're sitting down to to come up with this, at least the impression I get is that. Most of this crap that you, you spout off with really just comes right off the top of your head when you get these people in uncomfortable situations. Uh, you know, oh, exactly. Whether it's the interviews you do or some of the, the more stand-up things, uh, it's pretty comedic, man. And, and Dave pointed out in the first segment is uh, he thinks you might be making fun of guys like us, and, and I have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the bad thing is, is I'm guilty of almost everything we make fun of. Except okay. for the CrossFit stuff. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't yeah, partake in cross, CrossFit hey, that much. JP's the CrossFit guy. Yeah, JP is our CrossFit guy. He gets up and okay. goes to work out every morning. He he knows what a he knows what a burpee is, and he don't consider a burpee the same thing you and I probably would. I, I know you yeah, can you yeah. can get the burpees after a few beers, but I sometimes do them at five in the morning, and it, it ain't exactly <laughs> burpees to me is when you when you gulp too much Mountain Dew down at one time, <laughs> and it comes back up. That's that's about the only burpee I know of. <laughs> Oh, shoot. So how did you get inspired to do this? Was this something that just kind of uh, you've always done and you thought, man, why not just get the camera rolling on it? Or, or how did it all start? Uh, basically, everything started with me getting in the outdoor industry, industry was from working on bows. Uh, I started working for Travis T-Bone that's on Bone Collector, you know, with uh, Mike Waddell and Nick Munt. Uh, he, he's one of the best bow ranches around and, uh, he owned his own shop in Hogansville, Georgia there for a while and then went to some other places and I started working for him years ago and he kind of taught me everything about working on bows, the insides and outs, the outdoor industry, that kind of stuff. And at the time he was doing all the real tree stuff and, you know, a, a lot of that kind of deal. So I just got to know everybody at Realtree through that and, one thing led to another, and it's developed into what it is today. Uh, back 15 years ago, they were shooting me in with paintballs in the Monster Buck series. You know, I started <laughs> off way at the bottom of the totem pole and worked my way up, and still consider myself at the bottom of the totem pole. But you know, you know, I'm 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 moving forward. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, just from wrenching on bows, got to know everybody and. 
you know, things slowly develop to what they are now. I started doing a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And, you know, always had a great relationship with those guys. They're all good people and really looked after me. So, you know, that's how I got a, kind of got my start in the outdoor industry. As far as for the comedy stuff we're, we're doing, uh, they've got some real talented producers and editors and all that kind of stuff in-house. And, you know, we were just shooting the bull one day and running some ideas through this and that. And actually, we were talking about Emory King. You know, he's done those comedy stints and stuff like that on the Internet in the past. And, you know, we were kind of like, well, let's do something like that with a hunting draw to it kind of deal. So that's how all that comedy bit kind of developed was just, you know, seeing stuff, other stuff on the Internet and kind of putting a hunting industry swagger to it i guess you could say and, and if folks don't know uh, it, it's called pit stop correct i mean that's the yeah yeah that's what they named it on the real tree 365 uh is pit stop and we kind of started that a little bit towards the end before 365 came we just kind of came up with that name pit stop my my last name being pits and hey let's let's throw it all in there and make something funny out of it so uh that's what it's developed into for sure yes sir well, what's the ultimate goal here? I mean, how far are you trying to, to take this? Or are you just going to let the, the wind blow you where it may? Man, I just let the wind blow me where it may, you know. Uh, you know, I, I'll I'll take it as far as it'll go, you know. Uh, I, I'm very interested in the outdoor industry. I always have been. Hunting's always been a passion of mine. And, you know, what we're doing has grown and grown and grown. And uh, actually with this uh, Realtree – 365 deal they're coming out with some new shows as well and i'm gonna be part of uh whitetail tv which will be a new show for this year uh with tyler and roger culpepper he's actually real trees farm manager yeah so, uh, so you, getting the, you getting the keys to the farm ah uh, no bill keeps me on a tight leash when it comes to keys to the farm well so, i know you're not shooting any know. does though right i mean uh, no, I, I'm not about shooting those, but he, he's he's trying to keep a check on his mature bucks, definitely. So I, I have to be on the leash when, you know, I, I enter those gates out there. <laughs> I, I got a kick out for anybody that hadn't watched it yet. You, uh, you've got one of your little episodes on uh, shooting does and. Uh, absolutely that's that's a pretty good one that's a pretty good one I, mm-hmm. I mean you know and the funny thing is michael is you you know it as well as i do and you, you do a lot of stuff on uh talking about you know guys on social media and the things they post and it's like right. if if you know if a guy shoots a doe it's automatically i'm controlling the herd you know you know uh-huh. I'm just doing it for meat whatever but um nine times out of ten it's a guy just He's having a terrible year. He can't fill his buck tag. <laughs> he wants some meat. He wants you know? to shoot something. You know what I mean? The ba- the bad thing is, is I slay a bunch of those every year. You know, you've got to from a management aspect of of deer hunting. You've got to take them out, and that's what I say. I actually partake in everything we're bashing on. I, I mean, that that's what's so funny about about everything is. You know, I've fanned turkeys before, but we'll go to bashing on that. It's almost like what we've developed is we'll take anything that's popular and just start bashing. Oh, yeah, Rose. You know, kind of deal. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I watch so. it, and I'm like, man, he is he is roasting the heck out of me right now. <laughs> like everything I'm watching, you know, and and even the, uh, the, the, the fashion in hunting. 
<laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. No, I, I partake in everything. You know, I, you know, the, the thing is we'll get a lot of criticism from people thinking we're being truthful now, with everything we're doing. Wow. <laughs> really? Who in the world oh, could watch absolutely. that and think absolutely. you're actually trying to attack somebody? I mean, it's all in good oh, fun. No. That there are people out there that will start bashing us, you know, and, and sitting there, well, bashing me, basically. And, uh, you know, we're like, no, this is supposed to be lighthearted. You know, Pitts has fanned turkeys before. You know, he does kill a lot of those. You know, you, you've got to take it lighthearted, you know. So, basically, we just, you know, we're, we'll take what's popular out there and, you know, try to make something funny out of it. It's all we ever do. You Man, know, any, we just have fun with it. Anybody that would, would uh, be critical or bash you for doing the things you do, that must be the guy that actually does, the, you know, on the episode where the things that hunters never say, you know, uh-huh. I'm not going hunting today. I'm going to sit here and check out Facebook and roast other hunters. That must <laughs> be, that was that guy. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it, it gets comical sometimes because I'll be, I'll, I'll be sitting there reading a comment or this or that, and I'll go, man, this guy thinks we are really being serious here. <laughs> <laughs> It, it gets funny at times. It would it would have to, man. I, well, I'm impressed. I, I think it's a, a neat concept you got going on, and uh, I hope you continue it. Don't let that that negativity hold you back, because I'd say people are getting a good kick out of this, the vast majority oh, no. at least. Oh, yeah. No, I'm... it doesn't get to you. you got to be thick-skinned about stuff, and, you know, it doesn't matter what you do nowadays in today's world. You're going to get you're gonna get flat for it in some some shape, form, or fashion. So you just got to keep your head up, chin up, know what you're doing is fun, and you enjoy it and rock and roll with it. I, I love the roasting concept, though, man. I mean, to me, that's the that's the biggest form of flattery whenever somebody just roasts the heck out of you. It, it really is. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's awesome. You know, the, mm-hmm. those Comedy Central roasts, I love watching those, and, and you, you have to think the person getting roasted really kind of enjoys it, too. I mean, I'm sure you'll strike a nerve Absolutely. every once in a while. but <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that's where all of this kind of came from was, you know, just from, you know, the roasts they did on Comedy Central and, you know, the Emory King stuff that came out. You know, all that kind of stuff kind of started developing. And, you know, we were watching that. And the, the producers at Realtree are, are so innovative and paying attention to every little thing that goes on through social media, TV, everything. And they're creative that they'll come up, hey, well, let's do a spin on this, but in the outdoor industry, you know. Uh, those guys are super talented and can come up with, you know, a lot of great stuff to do. They're constantly, you know, challenging you with this and that and everything else. So that's, that's what makes it so fun is everybody's so innovative, kind of kind of get in there and have a little writing section. And a lot of it's ad-lib, you know, just, moment at the time some of it's pre-scripted you know so it, it's fun it's fun fun thing to be a part of just something light-hearted and have fun with it no pressure and see what turns up well i want to change gears a little bit you know you mentioned yeah. at, the, at the start uh you kind of got in the industry by working on bows and, and you said you do own mm-hmm. your own shop now correct Yes, I do. So what's that like? I mean, obviously, between being a, a firefighter and working with Realtree, how do you fit in the time for a bow shop, especially when the peak season for, for bow hunting and, and having a shop is, what, August through November, December? I mean, yeah. what? Well, how do you yeah, balance all that? Air. 
yeah, it gets hectic. I can tell you there. There's there's days you want to sit in the floor and start crying. You know, <laughs> I mean, it, it it gets pretty pretty rough at times. But you know, it's just I would I, I'm the kind of person that would rather be busy than sitting on the couch doing nothing. So, you know, there there there's just things. As long as you get with me in enough time, I can r- make a schedule out. You know, I can usually make stuff happen. Uh, you know, last minute stuff sometimes has to wait a little bit, but. You I mean, know, I feel privileged because I just sprung this interview on you last minute. You made time for us. Hey, that's that's what I say. You know, I make time for what's important. You know, oh, oh, so, man. You hey, yeah. that might you be know, the nicest I, I like thing anybody said. <laughs> Three episodes. That, that's right. You know, I I like to shoot the bull. You know, take a little break, talk on the phone. You know, celebrate the hunting industry. So you can't beat it. Absolutely. Well, uh, along the the bow hunting line. Uh, yeah. Obviously, as a guy that's been in the, the shop business for a long time and now runs one, mm-hmm. what direction do you think the industry is headed? You know, if you get on a lot of these archery talk or uh, bow sight forums, if folks are just screaming carbon, 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 everything's going carbon, carbon, uh, uh-huh. what's what's the trend? I mean, what do you think is coming? Is it is it going to be a, a new innovative cam or something different with a riser? What's around the corner? You know, and that's something that's hard to predict. Uh, I will say the carbon that Hoyt came out was probably the biggest shocker, you know, and that was probably back around, I guess, around 2010, somewhere somewhere around that era when the carbon was released. And, and it was definitely probably one of the most innovative things you've seen as far as boat technology goes uh, down the road. But it, it's hard to predict what what is going to come out because i'll sit there and look at equipment and go man it's done it's maxed out there's nothing else they can come out with it's just going to plateau and then they'll shock you with something different so it's hard to predict and these engineers with these companies are tight-lipped i mean literally nobody knows what is going to come out until they decide to drop it on the internet how they keep those people that tight-lipped at these factories i'll never know but nothing ever leaks as far as what's coming out well i know that like uh you know i can't remember the guy's name one of the main designers for matthews um but anyway i I guess they said he actually just practically lives at the shop and he's got a room he goes back and sleeps in and and he does a lot of work yeah, yeah, and he does a lot of work whenever everybody's gone. It's like he's just so secretive about right. it. Even people working there don't even know what he's working on. It just it blows and, and my mind. Yeah, and that's what it is a lot of times. A, a lot of people that are even work at the factory don't even know. Uh, you know, a lot of the reps, you know, they don't know. They keep such a tight, you know, lip on everything and everybody before it's brought out and everybody always asks me you know hey man we know you know what they're coming out with tell us what's going on and i'm like y'all don't realize they don't tell anybody anything until it is released over the internet which most people release their new product right there late october early november's when the new bows will drop and you know you, you just you don't hear anything rumors don't get out how, how they keep it that quiet, your guess is as good as mine, but they, they're able to do it. So, well, what, you know, predicting the future, it makes it really hard because they keep they keep such a such such tight lid on everything. Well, let, let me change the gear a little bit here. Is there mm-hmm. something that you would like to see 
happen in the the archery industry that you think would be a either a good change for technology or a good change for hunters? What what is it about the bow itself that you think would be a, a step in the right direction, or is there anything? You know, it's probably why I'm not an engineer is because I can't <laughs> come up with this stuff. <laughs> You know, it amazes me when they release some of this stuff. I'm like, man, how did they, you know, come with come up with this idea? You know, so uh, that's why I sit there and look at the bow that's in my hand at the moment and go, you know, there's no way they can make this any better. And, you know, sure enough, the next year they'll release something and it's like, man, you know, this is great. Uh, you know, everything seems to be factored around that they're releasing is noise, vibration, you know, people nowadays are trying to make the bow as dead and as quiet and vibration-free as they can. So that's where a lot of your money's put in areas. And you'll see, like, you know, with these major bow chains, you know, they'll make one big drop, you know, and it's like, woo, jaw dropping. And then the next two or three years, they'll just add a little to it. And then about three, late, three years later, they'll have another huge change up. So... You know, I, I think and I would believe the engineers have probably got the next five to ten years mapped out as far as what they're going to do with product. And they just feed you a little bit at a time. Yeah, you know, I, I can't not imagine gonna, them. They're not uh, going to show you all their cards at once. Yeah, there's no way they're not planning that ahead. They've probably got at least three years in, in advance they know what yeah. they're going to do. They're probably working on bows right now for 2024 or something like that. Exactly, and I would think they have a stockpile of stuff listed that they're going to do, but they're not going. They're not going to show you everything at once. They're just going to feed you a little bit, and then they, there might be a big jaw dropping wow when they change up everything one year, yeah. just to bring the attention back to that bow or whatever. So, you know, it's pretty cool though. You know, the the biggest thing I've seen that I love. It is the carbon. Uh, the carbon has a lot of good benefits, and Hoyt has done just a great job. They were pretty much the leader of the carbon, you know, carbon fad. Uh, there, let me just say this: the true carbon fad. There's some imitations out there. I think the only other people doing a true carbon bow other than Hoyt would be PSC. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some others that claim to be carbon, this or that. But, you know, the true holocore carbon, uh, you know, that Hoyt brought out, just just amazing. Yeah, I just I wonder if Matthews is going to jump into the carbon deal. They, they don't have anything out there, carbon or anything. Yeah. You know, I and I figured after Hoyt had released it, a lot of people would jump on the bandwagon. And you just hadn't seen it. Like I say, PSE came out with one years later uh, that, that, you know, was a true carbon bow, but... You know, uh, Matthews Elite, Botech, uh, Botech's actually got one, you know, that's called the Carbon something, but, you know, it's not really true that hollow carbon material, you know, true carbon spec, you know, like Hoyt and PSE are doing. But the the uh, the Carbon's definitely innovative. Probably one of the biggest innovative things has come out, you know, in the past 10 years for sure. And it seems like there's a lot of conversation now the last year or two about you know, that axle-to-axle -axle length, you know, everybody yeah. concerned about dramatic string angles and, and right. know, trying to get back to a 33, 34, 35-inch ATA. Mm -hmm. And I, mm -hmm. I, I can't decide which direction the industry is going to head with that, but I know as a short right. guy, 
Yeah, I don't know. I, I think I kind of like a shorter axle. Well, it axle. doesn't affect us. I'm a short guy too, you know, and, and that mm-hmm. it doesn't affect us to shoot a shorter axle bow. It, it really you know? doesn't. Right. But, but you know, I can see where you know a guy that's six foot or six two or something like that. I can see where he doesn't want to shoot a triax because it's such a short axle. Yeah, twenty eight inches axle to axle. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and that's that's great thinking too because you know your shorter guys can get away, you know, with shooting a shorter bow. Once you get to about twenty nine inches plus, shooting those shorter twenty eight, thirty inch axle to axle bows can you know kind of kind kind of make the bow a little bit less forgiving just due to the harsh apex the strings in. There's a lot of pinch on that backside with the longer draws. So you do lose a little forgiveness from that fact, from axle to axle. Uh, but, you know, a lot of it's got to do, you know, with the defect, deflex or reflex re- riser. You know, that's a lot of what has to do. The geometry of the bows, what makes it forgiving as well. If you've got shorter brace heights, it's going to be less forgiving, uh, you know, which you run into a lot with your reflexive risers. You know, you can make them faster that way, but it's going to be a little bit less forgiving as well on that end. So it's almost like you got to find that happy medium and stick with it because when you do something here, it affects you there. If you get more speed, it's going to affect the forgiveness a little bit, you know, so it's a give or take relationship anytime you change something up with a bow. Uh, I, I particularly have liked, I'm a short draw, I shoot a 28-inch draw, but I've always liked a little bit of your longer axle axle stuff just because of the forgiveness of it. And to me, they point and hold a lot more steadier uh, than the other bows. So I've always liked a little bit of the longer stuff, but what's selling is the short stuff, the more compact stuff. People can hunt out of a blind or shoot from a seated position in a tree stand a lot easier. So the definitely definitely the hot stuff and what's selling is your shorter stuff. Man, I, I think you may be qualified to engineer some bows, Michael. No, I don't know about that, man. <laughs> I just study the ones that are already built and, you know, that kind of deal. Yeah, but, I hear you. Well, we can get you yeah. a solid works or a CAD class or something going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that would be a disaster. <laughs> hey, man, so, so tell us, I know you hunt Georgia. I saw your hunt there on Monster Bucks, which you killed yeah. a hammer, an absolute hammer down there in Georgia. But, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. where, where are you going to be hunting at this fall? And, uh, you know, you, you uh, seen anything base- good so far? Basically, this fall, I'm going to be around here uh, mainly and not traveling due to this new show, Whitetail TV, that's going to be on that Realtree 365 channel. It's going to be a very local-based show that's going to be basically updated weekly, so it'll be like a series you can follow. And it's going to be mainly tailored to the southeast. So, you know, it's going to be tailored to your everyday hunting and, you know, a lot, lot of people like to see the reality of normal hunting club hunting. You know, there's there's some people out there that are tired of seeing the 200-inch deer shot. You know, they just want to see the bare-bones, everyday hunter do what they do. And this is kind of what that Whitetail TV series is going to be based upon. It's going to be just everyday hunting and hunting clubs and, you know, just personal land that we've got around the local area that sort of thing. So it's kind of a taking it back home, just, you know, hanging all your own tree stands, doing all your own scouting, A to Z, 
you know, kind of kind of stuff. I, I really so, like the sounds of that. I'm looking forward to seeing that. But here, you said something I would love for you to kind of get in a little bit more detail on. Uh-huh. Because it's totally foreign to guys like us. We're in the Midwest. And mm-hmm. there are no hunting clubs in our area. Thank you. Right. There are zero hunting clubs. Yes. It's so foreign to hear somebody talk mm-hmm. about a hunting club. It blows my mind. So tell us a little bit about what life's like with the hunting club, how it's set up, how many hunters are there, how many acres usually. Um, yeah. I mean, how, how, what's some of the positives and negatives of a hunting club? You know, there's a lot of both. Uh, you know, hunting clubs can be a good thing, and hunting clubs can be a disaster. Uh, and you've got to find the right hunting club that's tailored to what you want to do. You know, because around us, we've got a lot of clubs that are, if it's brown, it's down, you know. They're not into management. They're meat hunters. They're this, they're that. And there's a bunch of different kind of clubs you could fit into. But around us, it's primarily all hunting clubs and all leased land uh, because of the fact that, you know, it it, it is different, like you say, because up there in the Midwest around y'all and all, y'all can go knocking on doors and asking to hunt property and they'll let you come in. Around us, if you go knocking on doors, you're liable to meet a shotgun barrel. Well, so. we, we've met a couple of those up here our way too. I, I got threatened yeah. last year with my life, and I it, it was a, it was the damnedest thing. But oh, yeah, I got I got to be more selective about what doors I go knock well, on. Well, you know, I mean, you're you're right though, Michael. I mean, there are there's still that opportunity out here mm-hmm. in, in our area mm-hmm. where you can knock on doors and get permission and. Uh, a few of the properties that I have to hunt on are, you know, it's just that handshake deal, you know, right, the, the guy exactly. lets us hunt, you know, and, uh, but every year a little bit more of that disappears. I mean, I don't know where it's going right. for the Midwest. I don't know if we're heading to hunting clubs or if it's, you know, you're going to be right. hunting public if you don't have deep pockets. I don't know, but it's, I, I, yeah. I, I can see the hunting club thing kind of migrating up to our area. I think that that may be a trend in the future, but. I mean, mm-hmm. hunting clubs have been around for many, many years in the South, and yes. I just wondered a little bit about the culture there. Yeah, and it's huge around here. I mean, if you're going to hunt, uh, you know, uh, that's about what you're going to have to do. And, you know, how many people are in it or whatever is just how deep your pockets are. Because around us, you know, I would say an average of 10 to $15 an acre is what you'll pay. Is so, that just to be a member of the hunting club, or is that – for the entire that's lease. for the total lease that's okay. going to be for your total lease but if you've got a thousand acres at fifteen dollars an acre you know that gets expensive real quick so what you'll run into uh, you know down here a lot is they'll flood members to lower the price and so then you can run up with too many hunters on any given said piece of property so the more money you spend, the less hunting pressure you're going to have. But you're going to have to spend a lot of money. And you'll find a lot of guys that like to hunt on their own. They might get just a 100-acre track. That's all they can afford. And they'll hunt it by themselves. Or you get a lot of these people that get thousands of acres of land and will bring in a lot of people to, you know, basically justify the cost, lowering the cost so it'll be appealing to people. And it's basically any which way you want to play it. And basically it all revolves around money, how deep your pockets are. You can you can go out there and lease a 
three thousand acre farm, but you're gonna you're gonna end up paying dearly for it. So, you know, a lot of these people, you know, that that are wanting to get in clubs around here, sometimes it's hard to even find a club in your area to get into because land around here is being taken up so quickly, especially the good land. So yep. lots of times this I have people all the time asking me hey man if you know of any club that's wanting members we're looking for a place to hunt so, so when when somebody gets into one of these clubs do they have full <laughs> access to the entire acreage that the club possesses or do they parcel it off like hey you can hunt and sell a b and c but don't you dare <laughs> go in you know d e and f how does that work it goes different ways some people will set it up as to where Everything is fair game, and then some people will set it up to you can have, like, one primary area that's yours, and then a, a bunch of areas that are for community or whatever you want to call it. Anybody can go. So it just depends on who's got the club and who's making the rules as, as to how it will work. Uh, you see a lot of pin boards around us to where – They'll have a map of the land at a check-in gate or whatever, their little camp or whatever, and every stand's listed on it. And when you go in, you hang your tag on what stand you're in. That way everybody knows where everybody's at and keeps it safe. Uh, a lot of people that have a lot of members go that route. That way everybody knows where everybody is. Nobody's walking in on top of another hunter, that sort of thing. Uh but you know it, it's it's hard to find stuff around us. Uh, you know, a lot of people get land and they'll keep that lease for twenty, thirty years. You know, so it'll never be available. So most of your good land stays tied up around here, and it's just hoping a member gets out or whatever, and you can get in or. You just got to use your connections, people you know, that sort of thing. Put the word out there you're looking for something and, you know, hope something good comes along. But that yeah, probably it helps be, to run a bow shop, don't it? It does. It does. Absolutely. Well, but you got a lot of family farms and stuff. And if you know people, you know, sometimes you can get in and hunt a place for free. Uh, but a majority of everything's done around us is is a lease and we got a lot of tim uh paper company land around here which they lease all their land out primarily so there's a lot of paper company land around here and you know they'll lease it out for ten dollars an acre to you know and whoever you know initiates the lease or fronts the money up they'll be in charge of that club and they make their own rules up and start getting members and then it goes from there so what about, I mean, when you get those paper company uh, leases, mm -hmm. do I mean, do they allow, is there anywhere in there you guys can food plot or uh, do anything you know, like it, that? Or is it pretty much just you got to hunt what's there? Pretty much it's what you, you got to hunt what's there. Lots of these paper companies will leave designated areas for wildlife and they'll have food plots within that acreage you can use. Uh, lots of times it's old loading docks and stuff of that nature that were turned into food plots. But pretty much that timber company's not gonna let you cut anything down or move everything. All of it's primarily gonna be pine trees because these timber companies just come in, cut everything down, and then they plant pine trees. And they just go on the cycle of cutting. I mean, that's what 
that's what's a big big commodity around here is your your pine trees because they're quick to grow and they turn the profit you know more than anything else yeah i mean i've seen but, these uh, driving down the road you know when i'm mm-hmm. you know going through georgia or alabama mm-hmm. or you know louisiana i see a lot of those a lot of those pine tree plantations i call them oh yeah yeah and it's just timberland what it is is they're owned by these timber companies and you know they keep it and just cut it and replant and cut it and replant and it's just an evolving cycle but the bad thing is you know a pine tree has no nutritional value to a white-tailed deer yeah. So probably, probably these, not a lot of browse there for them either. No, no, not at all. But a lot of these, a lot of these, you know, paper companies will will keep little plots of acreage within there so that they can feed the wildlife or whatever. You know, they they try to think a little bit of the wildlife too, but they're not going to let you go in there with a you know bulldozer and clear out a ten acre food plot. That's not going to happen. Be a good way Pretty to lose much that. What, uh, that lease, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, real quick, like pretty much what you get when you're leased, it's got to stay in that configuration, you know. And it might be if you have a 500 acre track, there might be five small food plot locations within it or whatever, you know, little acre food plots, this and that, and uh, that kind of deal. Which, when they approved baiting in Georgia, it kind of opened up, especially for these people that hunt timber company land to be able to put a food source in there because, you know, they they got hit harder than anything with not being able to bait because they don't have much natural food source within these timber company lands. So there's not a big draw to bring deer in there. So the baiting laws actually helped them out because they were able to put food out or whatever to bring deer into those areas. Makes sense. Makes sense. That's a yeah. that's a whole nother subject right there. We talk about just uh, every once in a while with the baiting thing and whether or not yeah. you went over bait. I mean, I know that's something that that uh, I'm not opposed to it. We can do it in Kentucky and and right. you know, we put it out there. So yeah, it's usually controversial to when you get into that. You know, uh, do you do it or do you don't or is it sportsmanlike or isn't it sportsmanlike? The way I look at it, if you harvest an animal the legal right way, nobody can say anything to you. You know, uh, you know, hunting's about having fun, not making stereotypes and pointing the fingers. You know, uh, so you know, I wish folks, I wish hunters themselves would would stop bashing each other so much. You know, I know you have your way and I have my way. But that doesn't mean we can't get along and have a conversation without screaming and hollering. Amen. So, Amen. But, yep. but, but, yeah, we see a lot of arguments over that around here. Anytime you bring up the word bait, there's going to be a heated debate coming soonly afterwards uh, just because of the fact that it's, it's a controversial subject anywhere, really, not just around us, but anywhere you can. Yeah. Uh, so, well, well, yeah, it's touchy. Well, Michael, you have been absolutely dynamic on here, man, and I, I want to give you the opportunity uh, to, to tell everybody where they can keep up with you before we let you go and, 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 and how where they can, they can follow their, what uh, you're doing. And where they can get their bow worked on if they're in that Georgia area where you're at. That, that's right. My shop is called What It Do Archery, believe it or not. What It you know, Do? That, what It Do? <laughs> that, I like it. That, that's the most unique archery name you'll ever find. When we were doing the LLC for this place, he said, usually I get about three different names in case one's taken. 
He said, but I don't think I have to do that with this. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. <laughs> but yeah, uh, but basically all my stuff filters through Realtree, their Instagram account, their Facebook account. Uh, I'll be spending a lot of time on the new Realtree 365, which everybody needs to download. It's free. And it's got a bunch of good content that's there now and a bunch of more good content coming in the future. So the 365 app is going to be great. You can download it on your phone. You can download it on your smart TV or Fire Stick or whatever, and it's free of charge. So you open yourself up to everything Realtree's got going on with that app. So uh, you can see a lot of my stuff there and through their social media, too. Give their uh, Realtree Facebook account alike and a follow on instagram a lot of my stuff cycles through there so anything real trees where you'll find me <laughs> and uh, where, where's where's what it do archery located at in west point georgia west point, yes sir georgia. all right yes sir about 60 miles south atlanta there you go down in god's yep. country that's it. That's it. <laughs> well, Michael, thank you so much for, for coming on with us and hanging with us here in the break. We'll catch you soon. You're listening to Pro Talk Absolutely. Outdoors. Thank y'all. Well, we made it through that segment without getting roasted, so we can check that yeah. off the list. <laughs> yeah, what a guy, though, man. He's a pretty funny dude. and uh, You got you to gotta download some of his stuff. And that, that Realtree app is pretty awesome. I, I – uh, did a thing here, you know, when Savannah moved in, we uh, we canceled the cable TV, totally canceled it. We we've got internet still, and uh, you know, of course, we got smart TVs throughout the house, and um, we just we we download apps on the, the smart TV and watch everything we want to that way, and it's a heck of a lot cheaper. And uh, Realtree 365 is one of the first things I downloaded, and man, good content on there. I'm going to have to cut the cord here before too long. I think I have a contract up in March. It's going to be over with. I'm, yeah, I'm, oh, I'm man. cutting the cord. I was literally spending $275 Ooh. a month. Seriously? Yeah, and I was watching TV maybe maybe two hours a week. You know, and I'm like, man, that is just – that's stupid, you know. Um, but it, I thought it was going to be tough to give up. Here's the thing. I like to watch the Reds play. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to watch some outdoor content, and I like to watch races. Mm-hmm. I like to watch a little bit of football. That's about it. I can still watch every one of those things. It doesn't cost me a nickel to do it. Well, there you go. There you go. I, I have to think that the cable companies and satellite companies are, are going to have to adapt if they want to continue to survive because, the you know, the old head uh, that, that doesn't want to try this is going to get older and older and older, and their kids or their grandkids are going to say, hey, listen – let us help you get a better way and cheaper way to do this, and I, I just I think it's heading that direction. Well, I'm one of those guys. I'm one of those guys. I'm I'm you know I'm not a millennial. Um, I was stuck in the old way. Thought I had to have cable TV to be able to watch what I wanted to watch, but man, those prices they keep going up, and I'm I'm broke. I'll never go back to it. Well, hey, you're you're broken a lot of ways. That's for sure. <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, this is Pro Talk Outdoors. Until next time, hook 'em or hunt 'em. Later, guys.